Good morning, Gator Nation. Welcome to a post-victory celebratory edition of the In All Kinds of Weather forecast. I am your somewhat voiceless host, Neil Shulman. You can follow me on Twitter at All Kinds Weather, on Instagram at All Kinds Weather blog, on Facebook and YouTube under the name In All Kinds of Weather as well. My co-host Chris Yanes is with us today. You can follow him on Twitter at Mr. Crispitz. A ton to talk about today. What a win. What a way to start the season. What a way to start the Billy Napier era. What a just a, a tremendous performance, not necessarily in terms of the caliber of play at all times, but just a way to finish the game off and start the Billy Napier tenure off with a bang that puts the college football world on notice. But before we get into all of that, quick word about our sponsors slash our partners. As always, we are proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, the nonprofit organization that sends underprivileged Gator fans to the swamp. We collect donations from fans and use them to bring someone to his or her first ever Florida Gator football game. We pay for flights, rental cars, hotels, game tickets, gear, food, swag, and just generally make sure that they have the swamp experience of a lifetime. We're about to announce our winners for the Gator Good Foundation campaign of 2022. We have closed our applications as a result, obviously, but... For next season, if you believe that you or someone you know is worthy of the honor, please email us at GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. As always, though they're not expected, donations are very much appreciated. So if you would like to donate to our cause, please go to our website, GatorGoodFoundation.com, and click on the donate button. Second, we're proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting in your marketing and deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are three great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. One is it is a veteran-owned business. Can't think of a better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving the business. Two, it's run by a UF alum and diehard Gator fan. Three, I can personally vouch for them as they produced all the new branding for in all kinds of weather, the new logo, the new website. Um, they did the new Gator Collective website. They did the Gator Good Foundation website, and they've got still more Gator-related stuff on the horizon. So with that said, game week came and went for the first of 12 times in 2022. The Gators, as we know, a thrilling 29-26 win over the Utah Utes this past weekend I'm exhausted. I have maybe 60% of my voice, as y'all can probably discern. Uh, three straight days of travel for me, but man, I've never felt better to be absolutely exhausted because what a way to start the Billy Napier tenure. Happy day. Happy week. Gators are back beating a top 10 opponent. It feels good. Chris, I mean, what? first of all, what, what did it feel like to have college football back, and, and what does it feel like to, to be a Gator fan today? First off, it's always great to be a Florida Gator. Uh, leaving the stadium Saturday night, that was uh, – took a while to leave the stadium, but that's a good thing. Tenth largest crowd in, in school history, largest uh, opener in school history. It was cool to be a part of that the atmosphere, the hype. It all lived up to it. So it's always nice when those games come together those weekends come together. You talk about them for so long and then it comes to fruition, but it was a great opening weekend of college football. We've had some great games. Thursday night games were great. Saturday, our game was fantastic. And then even like, you know, I, I didn't love the result, but it was a great game last night between Florida state and LSU. So it's just good to have college football back. It's just, it's been, it was a long off season. I think there was a really bitter taste left in our mouth the way things ended last year, but quickly turned to hope and um, anticipation for a new season. And we finally got it. And uh, what a great way to cap off a great uh, opening first week of college football with our game. Yeah. I mean, as, as I said, at the top of the show, three straight days of nonstop action for me, Friday, the travel day, leaving home in New Jersey early to get down. I'm flying to Orlando, Gator Collective, tailgater event. 
Saturday, the game day, it's just an all day fun, fun day. Yeah. Harmonic Woods, shout out to you guys. Tailgate was incredible. Uh, the game, even more incredible. Um, and then Sunday, my cousin's wedding, that was another fun day. Was, I was a gator surrounded by Knowles in Tallahassee. That was not so fun, but you know what? The silver lining is I also, I, I cannot stand LSU fans. I, I I hate the FSU program more. I hate the LSU fans more. Ever ever since Matthew and and their fans just being terrible people about that hurricane of all fan bases to be you know not caring about a hurricane. Their fans seem to have a very very odd working memory about that. But uh, yeah, I mean to to know that their fans are are unhappy does bring me. A, a small sliver of joy would have been a little bit larger if it were any other team, but FSU delivering that result. But yeah, man, college football is back. Gators are back. It feels good to be a Gator. It's always great to be a Florida Gator, but it feels a little bit more great to be a Florida Gator after a win like that. So without further ado, let's get into it, man. Let's talk about that. A lot of things to take away from the game. What stood out to you first? Um, you know, for me, I think it was the fact that the team just played, uh, it was just different. It felt different. The, the crowd was, was definitely into it. Like everybody kind of expected. And I think the team fed off of it. One of the keys to the game that I had going into it was, would they stay disciplined and how would they respond to adversity? And early in the game, unfortunately, Montreal Johnson puts the ball on the ground. They score on that drive. Florida responds eventually in the first quarter, ties the game up, and then goes into the half with the lead. And they, they seem to have a response in the second half every time Utah scored, too, which ultimately led us to the victory. So I think the team responded extremely well to you know, adversity, and I think they also remained extremely disciplined throughout the game. You know, I said that I'd like to see them have six or less penalties. They ended up with seven, pretty darn close on the money. A lot of it, weren't they weren't those mental mistakes, no personal fouls, anything like that. They are more like holds. So, you know, overall, I was really impressed with the way the team played, and they did exactly what they had to do to get this victory. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm going to hold the computer close to my mouth so everyone can hear me because my voice is just dead. Um, yeah, I mean, Florida, I, I would say I'll start on defense because it's, it's the less positive side of the ball for sure. Florida didn't make a ton of plays, but they made the biggest plays. That's that is the takeaway. Um, I mean, the, under Grantham, the the saying was "Ben, don't break," but they, they broke quite often, and and then the little pieces that were broken were were picked up, and then those pieces were shattered further. So that that was pretty broken defense. This defense stood tall, and they absolutely had to. You would have liked to see Ventral Miller pick that ball off around midfield. You could have ended it. You could have avoided that drama after that. Cam Rising takes off on the thirty-two yard gain because of a butt under bust on defense. You would have liked to seen that not happen. But and and almost in a vein similar to FSU uh, against LSU, they didn't make a ton of plays, especially at the end of the game. Uh, on defense, but they made the play they absolutely had to make at the last possible moment. And because it's week one and everyone always gets better after week one, there's always a lot to clean up after week one. You like the starting point because it's all, it's going to get better from here because everyone knows they got to work on this, that, and we'll talk about that and the other thing, but for that to be a starting point is something I think is definitely worth taking uh, in, in, in a positive fashion for sure. Yeah, and I think and another takeaway too, you know, we, we kind of brought up last night's game. I think I saw it on Twitter was that like everybody talks about Florida versus Utah looked like two good teams going at it. And if you look at the statistical breakdown, it's even dead even. You know, I think these were two really good teams going at it. And I think, you know, several months down the line when Utah, I think Utah ends up playing for the Pac-12 title. I think they're a good team. I could see them running the table winning 10, 11 games. I think Florida is a very good team. I think they have the ability to become a good team, you know, and that's what happens when two good teams play each other. They're going to, they're going to expose each other in certain areas. I think a little bit on defense, we got exposed in the defensive line, especially in the interior. They were able to run the ball very effectively. That's an area that we're going to have to get better at. Um, but I thought the linebacker play outside of the tight ends, which we talked about before they, they exposed that mismatch, you know, um, several times throughout the game, whenever they needed a big third down conversion, they flipped it out to one of those two tight ends. But Ventral Miller, you know, last uh, Saturday night showed me why, what a big loss he was last year. Because without Ventral Miller, we probably don't win that game because he made some critical stops. And I think the goal line stand, 
that was a critical stop in the game. And he was in on that stop. He had double-digit tackles. I mean, he was just led the defense. He got guys aligned. I mean, he really, truly was the quarterback of that defense. So, you know, defensively, I, yes, the defensive line, I think, got exposed. I think the linebackers and pass, per, and pass coverage got exposed a little bit. But they they made plays, like you said, when they needed to. And they got stops. They got off the field. There wasn't – there were there, we did get three and outs. Um, you know, they, they weren't as efficient on third down um, – conversions as some teams were on us last year. So it, that's an area where I think we still got to improve on a little bit, but overall you can't, you cannot uh, complain with, with some of the improvement and we played a good team. So good teams are going to move the ball on other good defenses. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that, that, that Miller and Bernie are kind of like old guard linebackers. Cause I think football is going to a place as just a general sport where the tight end is going to have more explosiveness, be just part of their job requirements. Like I'm not gonna say people are just I'm not, I'm not gonna say that that Kyle Pitts is grow on trees, but you're gonna see maybe Dalton Kincaid's, Brand Keithy's sort of grow on trees, maybe um, maybe even like a Kimora Gamble sort of sort of guy where he can become more of a, a dominant uh, pass catcher, and and as such, defenses are gonna have to adjust, and linebackers are gonna have to have some pass coverage skills in their job requirements, and you know Miller and Bernie were recruited well before that. I mean, 2000. 17 recruiting classes. I mean, this, this is all, yes, there were explosive tight ends before that, you know, Jordan Reed, Hernandez, Ben Troop, but those guys weren't the norm. They were exceptions that Florida just happened to you know, utilize even. But the point of that being Florida's linebackers weren't recruited here to be pass coverage guys. They were recruited to be, you know, run stoppers, quarterbacks of the defense, like you mentioned, playing cornerback, was not in their job description. And I thought, yes, Amari Bernie got burned a couple of times. Um, he did not have the best game. He made the play at the end, but he was not making the plays that I, that I think a Florida defense will be making two, three, four years down the road because Florida is going to be recruiting guys who just naturally have those pass coverage skills on them. And yet, and yet Amari Bernie won the game. That's the thing that everyone's going to remember. Amari Bernie, for all the things he did not do right, when the time came for him to stand up and make the play he had to make, he did it. And, and you know, that's, that's something that he's going to remember for the rest of his life, A. And B, it goes to show what a leader he is because leaders can have bad games. Leaders can make mistakes. But there's going to come a time or two in any given game where you have an opportunity to make a play. And you don't get to think about it. You don't get the chance to have butterflies or nerves or anything. You just have to either make the play or don't. And a leader makes a play when he has to, when he did. No doubt. Yeah. And I think kind of just going a little bit more on the defense. I think the defense did a good job, at least in the run game. They did gash a couple of times for like those 10 yard runs, 15 yard runs, but they didn't hit a big play or big run in the game uh, in the ground game, like some teams had last year. And I think that that kind of goes, that's a credit to the coaching staff for getting guys in the right alignment, giving them the correct schemes you know, that that's some, that's a good positive change that I think we've seen from this linebacker core that we didn't see last year. So that I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased with the way uh, overall, honestly, I, outside of the pass catching uh, of the passing game, Amari Bernie, I thought played a pretty good game at linebacker and same with Ventral Miller. Uh, th- those are going to be the two guys there and in, in, in the middle of the field. I mean, they, they played the majority of the night there. I didn't see a whole lot of Derek Wingo. I didn't see a whole lot of Scooby Williams. Um, these are the guys, DeWan Black, right? Yeah. So it it does appear that this staff at the very, uh, this time they believe because they played a lot of freshmen though. I mean, I'm sure we're going to get into that here in a little bit and I'd like to, but you know, they played the veterans at that position. And I think that, that, that they believe they're the best guys at right now to, to play linebacker. So that is such a, and I mean, Trevor Etienne, you can say on the offense, that is such a welcome change. We just did not have that under Dan Mullen, and, and it was to our detriment. And, yeah, he could get away with it when he had a guy like Kyle Pitts, when he had a guy like Kadarius Tony to bail him out, and when Felipe Franks got hurt and it was Kyle Trask or, or nothing, essentially, at the QB position, uh, he could get away with it because the team was winning and he could just you know ride his little brashness and, and cockiness to a good season, to beating Georgia, almost beating Bama, to – 
going to a uh, third straight New Year's Six Bowl, but that was not a sustainable way to operate a program. And for better or worse, and, and we'll get into this later, I'm sure, I still think Florida is going to lose games this year, multiple games this year. But we can sleep well at night knowing that we're losing games despite our coach making the right moves, not because our coach is making the wrong moves. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And the fact that we're seeing a lot of freshmen get played like Devin Moore, like a Trevor ETN, that's going to bode well for them down the line because they're getting that big game experience. I mean, we'll talk about welcome to, to college football by playing a top 10 team in your first game. And, and both played very well. I mean, Devin Moore, uh, you know, he didn't give up any big plays in the passing game. I thought he played pretty well. Uh, and then obviously ETN, uh, you know, he played a pretty good game. I think everybody's heart's heart uh, might have fallen out of their chest uh, on that one play on the winning touchdown drive, but Outside, and I'm sure they'll they'll preach some ball security to the young man this week in practice. But you know, he played a great game. I mean, he he is electric, and he's going to be a home run threat for this. For offense. sure, and and you can definitely attribute some of that um, to just being a freshman and not. I mean, yeah, because as a high school kid in Louisiana, he did have defenders try to rip the ball out. He didn't have defenders with quite the muscle mass of the Utah defenders as just as grown men versus kids trying to punch the ball out. So he'll, he'll adjust to that. I feel like um, in practice, he'll have, you know, Ventrell Miller, Amari Bernie, he'll have those guys, you know, trying to punch the ball out of his hands. He'll, he'll adjust to that pretty quickly. I think um, another, another freshman that uh, you didn't mention, but I'm sure uh, everyone was, has been very hyped up about is Kamari. Number yeah. five, Kamari Wilson on the defense, a guy that kind of was the crown jewel and kind of the big, you know, Ha ha! Stick your tongue out moment at Georgia on the recruiting trail when Napier comes in and with virtually no time to assemble anything in that transition class, he comes and takes him away from Georgia. Um, so definitely got to shout him out. Devin Moore, as you mentioned, uh, ETN also mentioned Dante Xander's not a true freshman, but someone without a ton of experience and, and really virtually no experience at tight end. Um, but that again goes to show that. This guy that we've got is going to play the guys that he believes are best, regardless of the seniority. There's no caste system here. There's none of that favoritism. It's if you're the best player, you know, if you have the best week in practice, we're going to get you on the field and you have to love that. So we'll talk a little bit more about the things that we loved. We liked, we're, we're positive on in a minute. Um, Let's let's put to bed, though, the things that we did not like, because we got to talk about them. Florida by no means played a perfect game. They didn't play close to a perfect game. Uh, what were the, some of some of your your negative takeaways? Or, or I guess uh, I should phrase it as uh, what were the, the things that you are most worried about that need to be cleaned up immediately? Because we have another good team coming to the swamp this coming week. Start with the offense downfield passing game um, outside of Ricky Pearsall. Uh, and a little bit of uh, Xavier Henderson. I thought Xavier Henderson played fairly well. We got to get a downfield passing game. Anthony, and I think this is something Anthony's going to work on in the offseason or in the, um, the week here leading up to Kentucky. There were some moments where, you know, if he had kept his eyes downfield, he could he missed a couple of crossing routes uh, to Keon Zepper, a couple of the receivers as he's scrambling. That's something I think they're going to show him on film and realize that you can bust a big play through a passing game if you just be a little bit more patient and keep your eyes upfield. But overall, I do think the receivers have got to get more open. It just seemed like the only two guys that were, were making really any big plays, well, Ricky Pearsall is the standout. He is at everything is advertised. I think he, I think he's going to be have a really good year. And then, and then Xavier Henderson made some plays in the pat in the receiving game too. But outside of that, I, I think this this receiver room is a little bit limited, like we might have thought going into the season. So they're going to have to work on that defensively. I mentioned it already. We're going to have to work on the interior uh, defensive line, the run game. You know, I, I think we, we know we're lacking depth there. We're still, we played a lot of guys. Uh, Chris McClellan, another freshman that we did not mention, uh, but he played a ton and he's going to have to play a ton this year. So I think tough, a very tough first opponent to play, uh, you know, a team that loves to run the ball first. So I think defensively, just that interior defensive line is going to have to get tougher as we get into the meat of the SEC schedule. And then, you know, I'll say it. I was not impressed with special teams. I know Billy Napier calls it the game changer role. None of the guys returning kicks, punts, did anything for me, especially the kicks, the, kick, the kickoff returns. 
you know, I don't understand why we don't put a guy like maybe Lorenzo Lingard back there. He, I know he didn't run though. He didn't play a lot of running back Saturday, but he's got some speed, you know, maybe give him a chance on special teams in the return game. I don't know, but I thought, I thought there was a little more to be desired in that part. Punt was fine. Um, Jeremy Crawshaw had, you know, put a couple inside the 20. It's exactly what he wanted to do for field position. But I think those are the, if we look at those three facets of the game, those are the three areas where I'm just a little bit concerned about uh, that we're going to have to continue to work on as we move forward. And like Billy said in his press conference today, the tape was sloppy. And it's definitely refreshing to have a coach that just acknowledges the fact that you can win a game like we did, but realize there's a lot to work on. So I think, and I think he probably sees it. You can win a game that I think goes a long way towards defining your program or, or redefine. And Florida's it's got three national championships, but redefining your program after a decade that, yeah, you know, Sugar Bowl under Muschamp, cool. Back-to-back East titles, McElwain, all right. Three straight New Year's Six Bowl, uh, okay. Not the standard of Florida. And to have a guy come in and in his first game take down a top-10 team where a year ago we were celebrating – a so close moment against a number one team. Sure. Alabama is great, but we were a little happier about that than we thought to win that game, to finish that game and have the coach still go. Yeah. You know what? We won. Cool. Great. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to cry. We're, we're happy, but this still wasn't good enough for us is definitely refreshing. So again, there's a, there was a ton to like about this game. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but yeah, just, just to put to bed the bad stuff, we talked about it. It's, it's no secret. Ball security. I mean, the, the first the first drive of the game, Florida's looking like they're going to just run Utah out of the stadium because the offense is so methodical on that first drive. The offensive line, by the way, will shout them out momentarily, but they were doing their job. They were getting five, six, seven yards a pop. And yeah, the running game was good last year stats-wise because Emery and Anthony could take off outside the tackle box and pick up a bunch of yards there. So the stat sheet looks good. But when Florida needed tough yards between the tackles, they really were not reliable in that area. They, they couldn't, and sometimes they could, but they couldn't reliably pick up those tough yards. They were doing that now in this first drive, and it, it, it feels good. It looks good. Everyone's happy. Oh, look at that offensive line. And then you fumble and you give that drive away, and then fast forward another 50 or so minutes of game action later, another fumble, if the ball bounces in a different way, I mean, we all know how a football is shaped. It's a weird shape, right? It's got like two points on the end. If the ball hits the ground in a different angle and bounces a different way, that loses Florida the game. That has got to get cleaned up, and again, it's not something that, you know, we're, we've been shy about mentioning. We talked about it earlier, but that that is so alarming. And I do think Florida will work on it, and I do think Florida will fix it. Like I said, ETN especially making the jump up from having literal, you know, kids, minors under 18 years old punching at the ball, a little bit different than having grizzled veterans who've been in, in a college program like Utah or Kentucky this coming week, or even bigger programs like Georgia or Alabama or LSU, grown men with grown, you know, SEC level strength programs punching the ball out is a different thing. And I do think he will adjust, but because we have not yet seen him make that adjustment, it is still fair to call that something that's very alarming. So got to fix that. And the defense, I mean, you talked about line of scrimmage, and, and I'll keep it a little more general than that. Just just the run game as a whole was was not good. And, you know, Utah doesn't have a bad rushing offense. It's not like it was Nevada or Ohio or Massachusetts are doing that. But it Utah's offensive line and their running backs also don't compare to what Georgia or Alabama or even, hell, I know they look bad, but even LSU is, is going to have in the running game. So, yeah, Chris Rodriguez isn't playing. So it's not like we have to get up for a Super Bowl type of, of level of opposition next week. But next week's game is also more consequential than this one. So we've got to get that short up immediately. We can't wait for that to, to develop uh, even two three weeks down the road for Tennessee or Missouri or LSU. No, that's got to get fixed immediately. The receiving game, I think I think deep down we all kind of knew it was going to be a multi-year fix. Yeah, Ricky Pearsall is great. That's going to help. But I think we all knew that that was kind of going to be a, a 2023 season uh, fix as opposed to 22. We just kind of have to go with what we've got. 
Uh, so those two things for sure are, are at the top of my list. So that's enough of the negative stuff. We know Florida did not play a perfect game. We know they left a lot to be desired. The Gators beat a top 10 team. The Gators announced their presence. We're not going to say that they're a national title contender based on one win, but they announced their, their ability to at least be in the outside dark horse conversation for it, which is where they belong, really. I mean, in any given year, they belong in any rational conversation about being a national title contender. So this was a start, and that is by all means a happy thing. It is a great thing for us to be able to think about and to know. So let's talk about the good stuff that helped get us to that point. Chris, what were your... What, what were the good things that you took away? What were you most proud of? What were you most happy about? Uh, and, and yeah, what, what were your positive takeaways from the game? I think you got to start with the quarterback. Anthony Richardson played a very efficient game. He not only didn't lose us the game, he did win us the game too. So we have a quarterback that can go win us the game in any given Saturday. And I mean, any given Saturday, like I truly think when we enter our stadium on Saturday afternoon, 15 can go win us the game. So it, he's a weapon. And I think if you actually look at Heisman odds markets, some of them already have him as the fourth highest odds to win the Heisman. And that just happened after one week. So he's going to continue to get better. And he's in, he's a master of his craft. He'll work on the things that we mentioned that he needs to work on. But first and foremost, Anthony Richardson played a great game. Uh, you know, the 45-yard scramble that gave us the lead before halftime, the fourth and three conversion uh, late in the game, and then ultimately uh, the winning touchdown at the goal line. You know, he, he's, he is what he is, I and mean, he is exactly what we hoped he would be in the first game when he won us that game. I think he's going to win us a lot more games this year. Um, second, the running game is going to be a strength not just because of 15, but because of our running backs and because of our offensive line, we had almost 300 yards on the ground. And it was not a, it, this was not a, this was well-earned 300 yards. That's a, that's a physical defense on the other side that we played. So we earned those yards, those yards on the ground. I'm excited to see how we do that again, this coming weekend against an sec caliber defense, but I'm, I'm very impressed with the way this offensive line played. I think they also are going to have a great season. If that unit can stay healthy. I mean, I even saw guys like Austin Barber, uh, rusher freshman playing on that line, and he played pretty well on the tackle position. So it's good to see that we have some depth at the offensive line this year. I do think we roll about 10 deep right now at, at, that, at that position. So that, that is really good news. And then defensively, I mean, I thought that we communicated better. We had better alignment. We were a lot more disciplined on defense. We didn't give up too many big plays. We managed the game. We kept them in front of us. So, you know, the defense is, is still a work in progress, but I think overall they played a sound game of football and they made the play at the end when it was necessary to make it. Um, so, yeah, those would be my big areas. I think 15 is incredible. Montrell Johnson, uh, Trevor Etienne, um, and then Naquan Wright in the running game, offensive line. They're good. And this is this is going to be a unit that is going to carry this team running the football this year. And hopefully it opens up the, the passing game for those receivers because, you know, ultimately you're going to get those moments where, you know, you have those safeties start to cheat up because of they have to respect that run. They're going to load the box. And then all of a sudden Anthony Richardson pops the ball on RPO and boom, you got a big play down the field. So this, this staff's going to be able to start scheming some things open, I think, in the passing game because the running game is so successful. Yeah, and, and you mentioned something that I think has to be touched on a little bit more. Opening up. I said on, on a, on a post-game space that Florida's rushing attack was very, very good. I thought that initially, I thought that the numbers were a little inflated because on that 45-yard touchdown run, Utah just completely neglected to cover the left side of the field. And then I realized something. Well, that's because Florida had been so effective at punching the ball between the tackles that they had to honor that and put the manpower in between the tackles on the defensive side of the, you know, between the tackles on the defensive side of the ball. And that's why they left that side of the field wide open. I initially, from the, the angle I had, I had thought that it was just a complete bust. I had thought that it was someone on the Utah's defense completely missing his assignment 
And then I watched the replay of that play, like the ESPN telecast of it. No, they were they were selling out to stop that run. When Richardson pulled out and he wheeled around and took out on the left side, there was no one there. And that was because that was the play that Utah had called defensively. They were open to leaving that side of the field completely vacant because they were that concerned about what Florida was doing to them in between the tackle box. And that's a testament to Billy Napier and his offensive scheme that, you know what, we're going to, first of all, we're going to start with having the big monsters in the trenches. We're going to have the explosive backs to give the ball to that the big monsters can create space for. They can create little runways for them to take off down. Then those elusive guys make additional yards happen because of their elusive abilities. And then when the defense is, is just completely sold out to stop that, then you have a literal jetway down the left side of the field, like we saw with Rich Richardson. He went 40 yards completely unmolested. I mean, you know, in college, when a knee is down, the play is over. But Richardson, if not for that, could have crawled 40 yards down the field before he was even attempted to be tackled. And then, of course, in the wide open field, Richardson is elusive enough that he can break that tackle. But he goes from the 45 to the 5 without any resistance whatsoever and then jukes the guy out and scores. But that is because of game planning and Napier putting the monsters, first first developing the monsters, bringing one over from Louisiana and and Osiris Torrance and, and instilling that will into his offensive line to make sure that they open up the lanes, doing it enough times that Utah has to honor it with all the manpower they've got, thus creating the opening. So love that, love the attitude that goes into that, love the game plan, love the execution of that game plan, love all of that. Second, this is a little foreshadowing, um, but the two-point conversion. Anthony Richardson won that game for Florida with the two-point conversion, or I should say, Anthony Richardson saved the game at that point because think about what happens on you know, the rest of the way if that two-point conversion doesn't wind up being successful. It's 20-19 to 19 after Florida's win. It's 19-14 Utah, touchdown, plus six. Florida's now up one. So they go for two, so that way a field goal can't beat them. Feeling tied. Richardson looks like he's about to get sacked by his former teammate, Mambo Diabate. He then makes him look stupid with a with a, a, a jab step pirouette spin sort of combination, wheels around, and then has the presence of mind to keep his eyes downfield and throw the ball to Jaquavian Fravers. Frazier's, who, by the way, badass moment of the game, just stands there completely flat-footed, casual, nonchalant, and just catches the ball like he's answering his phone. Loved it. Hilarious. But think about what happens after that play. Let's let's play it out. Let's say that two-point conversion is not successful. It's 20. To 19 Florida. Utah drives on the field. They score touchdown. They're going to go for two because being up six doesn't do them any good. Six versus five point lead is nothing. Uh, unless you're LSU, of course, and you can't kick a field goal successfully. That's going to get blocked. But then let's say they go for two. Statistically speaking, uh, the analytics say it's extremely unlikely that you miss two point conversion two times in a row. It is, it is a slightly, a above 50-50 proposition that the average FBS team gets two-point conversion. I think I, I think PFF said it's like 51.9 or 52.1%, slightly over 50%. So to miss it two times in a row is statistically about 20, 22 or so percent chance. So they'd already missed one. So they're probably going to get the second one. Just, just talking pure stats and numbers-wise. So that let's say that they get that. It's now 27-20. Florida drives on the field. They score, as we know. That ties the game. It doesn't give them a lead. They don't then go for two because that doesn't do them anything. Um, Or, well, actually, no, it would. It would be the gamble of taking the lead versus staying behind versus tying the game. So, But anyway, we'll assume Florida kicks the extra point. Ties the game. Now on the last drive, Utah has no intentions of scoring a touchdown. They're only looking for a field goal because on the last drive as it was, they're down three. So a field goal is in their back pocket as a backup plan. They can kick it and send it to overtime as a plan B, but they want a touchdown. They are hunting for a touchdown. On that last drive, let's say that the first few plays play out the same way. 
because um, I imagine that they're, you know, they're still urgent because they're starting on their own side of the field. They're urgent to get down into Florida territory. They're, they're still going to call some plays with some urgency to move the ball. So let's say it all plays out the same way up until the point where Rising takes off on that big run and gets inside the Florida 20. Utah's done. They're done trying to move the ball. Maybe they'll, they'll center it. They'll move it to the side of the field that their kicker likes. They'll move it to his preferred hash. Maybe they'll try to get a couple yards closer with runs. They won't try to run any out routes. They won't try to run any pass plays for sure. They'll just center the ball or get it to the kicker's preferred hash, and then they win the game with that field goal. This is all because Florida got the two-point conversion that this doesn't happen. Utah was hunting for a touchdown to win the game as opposed to yeah, you know, if Florida just completely busts, yeah, okay, sure, we'll take the touchdown. But a field goal is all we really need. So this avoidance of a sack by Richardson, plus the presence of mind, plus him, you know, not getting too excited and throwing it over his head or, or one-hopping it or whatever and, and hitting Frazier's made all the difference in the game. But, I, yeah, people appreciate the, the raw play. I mean, I, I don't think it was an underrated play in that sense, but – the game plays out very differently down the stretch if it doesn't. And that's all because of Richardson's athletic ability, presence of mind and his execution. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, it was, it, he's a star player. I mean, he's a star player. And I think, I think we're going to need to just enjoy the ride this year. I think we need to enjoy the ride and enjoy Anthony while we have him because he's a special player. And players like him don't come around very often. It's like when we had Kyle Pitts. I think we knew the greatness that we had with Kyle Pitts. We had him, you know, even to a ascent Kyle Trask, but that 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 elite level player who just doesn't come is generational. Anthony Richardson's a generational talent potentially. We'll see how the year progresses, but I you gotta like the way he handled that game in that moment. Um. I had, when we took the ball over, I think it was like six minutes left on the clock when we were down again and we ultimately ended up scoring the winning touchdown. I had all the confidence in the world that he would go do it. I mean, there, I, there truly wasn't a doubt in my mind. And I was a little, the only reason I was nervous in the last, that minute 53 when we had the fourth down was because what Billy ran the clock. Maybe we can talk a little bit about this kind of a court coaching corner moment. Billy calling the, letting the clock run down calling the timeout and then taking the play into, uh, into the timeout and then going forward after that and how only having two, because if we don't get it, then we only have two timeouts left. And potentially, even if you get the stop, you're probably going to have almost no time left to go down the field and score. So, you know, that was, that was, that was definitely a pivotal moment in the game. You know, calm, cool, collected Anthony, I think went through probably his first or second read and then immediately realized he had the, the hole to go get the first down and took it. So you know, he, he's going to make the play. I think as long as he's, he's put in the right position by his coach, which it appears he is, he's going to make the play probably the right play, the decision 90% of the time. The one time I think in the game he didn't was when he was scrambling to his left and then he overthrew the receiver and he should have been picked off by the safety from Utah. In that same play though, if he had kept his eyes down the field, he would have found and hit a Keon zipper for a big time game but that's just a learning moment for him. And I think he's going to start because he is an elite level player. He's going to see that and he's going to improve upon it for next week. So, or in the future game. So I'm not, I'm not too, too worried about him moving forward. And, and, but yeah, I mean, like he, he's special. This, that he is special and he's and this team will go as far as Anthony takes them. You know, I think the the ceiling going into the season, I said was, potentially 10 wins, right? You win all the games you are supposed to win. You win all the games at home. Maybe you drop a game to Georgia Tech, and then here or there. But he could win us almost any game on the schedule, I think, just because of his raw athletic ability. Sure. And, I mean, you make a good point about talking about Napier's decision-making down the stretch. I had thought about bringing that up possibly as something that I think needs to be worked on. I understand why he did it. It worked out in Florida's favor. The other side of the coin being if Florida doesn't pick up that fourth and two, it called a four to do it. It was fourth and two and a half. It was a little bit more than two. If Florida doesn't get that, they lose the game. And, and that is because Napier made a decision. But the flip side is Napier has watched Richardson play all offseason long. He's seen the tape of him from last season, from the few plays that Mullen allowed him to play. Not going to go there again, but 
you could make the argument that he knew what he had in him. He had that much faith in Richardson that he was willing to take that chance and bleed the clock down. Because as we saw, Florida, as it was, still left Utah with too much time. Time yeah. wasn't the reason Utah lost the game. It was because Rajni made a bad throw. They had all the time in the world. He was trying to bleed as much of it down as he possibly could. And he had that much faith in Richardson to get that first down that would allow them to continue to do so. Well, actually, and, and if you notice too, and this kind of goes to like, I think player IQ, Anthony on the play, I think it was the next play. It was a design run to the right. He tried to stay in bounds to keep the clock rolling. Next play, I think it was either ETN or Johnson. They get down inside the five-yard line. And you can see he's trying to, like, sit down in, in, in front of the goal line and let more time roll, but the guy, defender dragged him out of bounds. So the players renewed the situation. That, I, was, I was actually really impressed with that situational awareness of what the clock was, what the situation was. And I, I think that's obviously something being instilled in, by this coaching staff right now. So good to see that late in the game, that late-game awareness. For sure, and and that's that's a feather in the cap of Napier of his of his assistant coaches and of the players that that is something that goes from the head coach all the way down that they were all aware of that situation and knew what to do in it. So last thing on the clock management thing with the coaches, the timeout, the play before the interception was key, I think, by Billy because for a couple of reasons, one. Because at that point in the game, you want more time left. If you're gonna, if they're gonna score, you at least want a shot. Uh, but also, the defense was gassed, and I think he knew that. And get, calling that timeout was able to let those guys reset, realign. Barry Bernie was in the right place just to make that diving interception. So you know, Billy might have called two of the best well-timed timeouts that he could have in that game. Um, so. All things considered, I think good coaching, uh, in-game management coaching with Billy Napier. Yeah, I mean, got to give him, especially for his first game. He got a weird history of, of how he manages the game. I mean, you think about that game against Appalachian State where he orders his punter to just run back 40 yards and take a safety because mm-hmm. his long snapper could snap the ball. So maybe there you have a case of him overthinking it. But you know that if you do that in the SEC at a place like Florida and it doesn't work, he gets crucified by the fans and the media for years to come. Yep. So yep. good on him for not necessarily overthinking things. You, you could make an argument that if that fourth and two in the last couple of minutes doesn't work out, you could say maybe that was him overthinking it. It certainly would be a move that blew up in his face. But you could then say, well, maybe he thought too hard. Maybe he was trying too hard to, to drain all the clock out. And, and he wasn't thinking about priority number one, which is scoring. Because if you drain the clock down and you don't score, well, great. Your secondary goal worked out. But the goal that you had to check off in order to win the game for that secondary goal to matter was not checked off. So that really doesn't help you very much. So he gets that, he gets a check in that category for sure. Well, and I think maybe the last thing we'll say on this is that good coaches, great coaches make the right decision most of the time. They don't make it correctly all the time. You know, Nick Saban even has made decisions in his career where he probably, like the kick six, he shouldn't have kicked that field goal, right? He should have just, either thrown a Hail Mary or taken it to overtime. And maybe that Alabama wins another national championship. So that's an example of a poor in-game coaching decision that backfired on Saban. So it's Billy Napier is going to make bad decisions as a coach in his time as in his tenure at university of Florida. It's just a matter of if he makes the right call the majority of the time. So, you know, he made some calls They worked in his favor and here we are one to know. I would even argue that the kick six wasn't too bad of a call because that kick was – it wasn't like it barely you know reached the five-yard line. It reached the back of the end zone, and Chris Davis had to make sure his feet were still in balance for him to catch the ball. So if that's a 53-yard field goal instead of a 57-yard field goal, it, it might have been good. Yeah, the no, ball, for sure. Hooked, I, I, like, I would say more that he called a fake punt in the national title game against Texas in 09 where the punter just takes a snap and throws the ball right to a Texas linebacker, which that was probably a call he regrets. Alabama won the game, of course, but that was a call he probably regrets. But that's that's all beside the point. 
it's about the hit rate. It's about the percentage of time in which you make the right call. And, and I said this on this basis, like even this year, Billy Napier at some point in time is almost certain to make a bad call that will lose Florida a game. The thing is he cannot have a habit of doing that. Everyone will make a mistake. Everyone, everyone will make mistakes, plural, multiple times. And everyone is guaranteed to make a particularly damaging mistake. The thing is, do you learn from it? Do you not do it again? Do you not do anything similar to it again? And do you do, does the sum of your coaching decisions help your program? Does it result in a positive? Are you in the green? Or, or are you, I don't even know. What's the opposite of being in the red? Is it green or is it green or black? Being in the black or being in the uh, red? I think it's being in the black or being in the red. Black okay, being I, being know being the red. red is, I know being in the red is, is minus. And I know that's the bad one. But the, the, the opposite of that. Are, does the sum of your coaching decisions result in your team being in the red? Or does the sum of your coaching results result in your program being in whatever the opposite of the red is? And, 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 and is it close? Is it 52-48? Is it 55-45? Or is it 70-30, 75-25, you know, 80-20, and, you know, in that area? So I think that Billy Napier is a guy that's going to make the right decisions more often than not. I do wonder if the situation were to repeat itself at the end of the game against Utah and he has that fourth and two, does he let the clock run down? Uh, maybe if he doesn't have Anthony Richardson, does that change how he how he plays that? If he has, I mean, let's let's just say it's Max Brown or Jack Miller or or Jalen Kidna who's at quarterback, um, or maybe maybe true freshman Marcus Stokes in his second ever game, does that alter how he plays that? And you know, does he know? his personnel, the personnel that follows, because we all know what Anthony Richardson is like, you know, you, you went into it for a solid five minutes because he merits that time to talk about how awesome he is. But with someone where it's not maybe known so much, does Napier know his own personnel to know whether to trust them or not to trust them in those situations? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we'll find out as, as his tenure goes on, but I think for at least this game, he made the right decisions and, and here we are. One and all's all's well that ends well. Um, exactly. Speaking, speaking of of ending well and ending, we're going to end our show the way that we've ended our our recap shows for the past couple of years. The final word. Let's do it, guys. For those of y'all who may be new listeners, not familiar with this, it works pretty simply. We go back and forth and give our play of the game, our player of the game. And then we grade the offense, defense, special teams, and coaching. And then we give an overall grade from zero to 100. And uh, then we, we call on and we move on to Kentucky with our next show, which will drop in a couple of days. So, Chris, you first. Let's start play of the game. I know we've had some discussions off air about this. Uh, what have you got? So my play of the game is the goal line stand. And I think obviously because at that point, if Utah gets another touchdown, that they probably win the game, the way the game was playing out. It was such a momentum boost for the team, you know, because the defense had been gashed through the run game for those 10, 15 yard gainers, like we talked about, but they made a big stop when it mattered. And I think that's just a good confidence boost that when your heels, you know, were backed up against the wall you made the play when it mattered and it got the crowd back in the game. You know, it got the team energized. That was a big stop. That was a big stop that we made this year in a 50, 50 ball game. It's moments like those where you win the game because you made the stop. That's just, that ended up being six, seven points off the board for Utah uh, when you win by three. So for me, it's the goal line stand. And plus, you know, think about like how the defense has been such a, you know, they've, they've been picked on the last couple of years. They haven't played up to the elite level that we expected from a, a Florida defense. Um, you know, we had that one big goal line, I think, stop a couple of years ago against uh, Georgia where they might have just kicked the field goal. Um, and then against La Alabama last year, they ended up kicking the field goal. We stopped zero points from happening. There were two moments in the game where they got inside the five-yard line and didn't score. 
So goal line stand was the first of those for me is my play of the game. It's the one that I think everyone's picking. Um, I took a little flack for this on Twitter because I called the two point conversion an underrated candidate for play of the game. By no means was the effort from Richardson underrated. By no means was the play. If you put it in a vacuum underrated, I called it the underrated play of the game candidate because as I went into earlier, not going to completely rehash that, but just to summarize, if Florida does not get that two-point conversion, the rest of the game plays out very differently, and Utah is not looking for a touchdown on its final drive because a touchdown does them no more good than a field goal would do in a tie game. But instead, they were down three. So a field goal was a backup option to send the game to overtime. A touchdown would have won them the game. So Richardson's ability to make – I don't, I don't, I don't like to put it this way. Cause I mean, I like the Abate, uh, but he made him look stupid. He made it, he made him look dumb. He, he just, he spun around. He did, the, he did a, a jab step pirouette, a little ballerina spin move, sort of combination move and got away from him. And then the presence of mind to keep the eyes downfield, to not panic, to see, okay, I've got an open receiver. Let's make sure the ball gets there. Let's not overthrow him. Let's not throw it a million miles an hour. Let's not put it in the ground. Let's not throw left or right. Let's just put it right on him. The badassery by Frazier to just keep his feet, his heels on the ground, just catch the ball. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, whatever. No big deal. I just caught a two-point conversion in a game against a top 10 opponent. No, no big deal there. Um, yeah, that completely changed the tenor of Utah's final drive and I believe is the play of the games. So now, something that may be a little harder – Obviously, there's going to be one guy that is probably getting the most recognition in this front, but the player of the game, Chris, are you going to go away from the mold? Are you going to go with the one we all think? I mean, how can you not? It's Anthony Richardson. We don't win this game without Anthony Richardson. And we're going to say that a lot this year because – we're going to, we're going to look back when we win a game and we're going to say Florida won that game because of Anthony Richardson. I'll copy the first one to come on here and say the time when that's not the case, when we won a game because of somebody else or better yet, if, if Anthony doesn't play well, I'll say we lost it because, or he was a contributing factor, but without 15 on the field, Saturday night plays like that two point conversion, you know, busting those 45 yard runs, it, it, it just, he was the reason we won the game and he, he was just very efficient, you know, 17 to 24 passing um, just a little over a buck 50 throwing did get that throwing touchdown. I think that comes this weekend against Kentucky three, three runs on the ground. You know, he's just a big play waiting to happen anytime at any point of the game. So great game from him. He is, he is the player of the game. It's, it's okay if you say it too. It's okay. It's I an mean, obvious it's, choice. It's, it's just hard to argue. Um, you, you could make a case for, and, and this is not saying he was the best player on the field, but he was the defining player of that game. Um, I will, and, and this is not a negative in this sense, but I will say he's a player of the game because he made the play that we're all talking about is Amari Bernie diving in front, grabbing that slant, uh, I mean, just just think about like how in the course of a football game, there comes an opportunity or two that you don't know when it's coming. You don't have time to be nervous or have butterflies or, or, or overthink anything. You just have to make the play. You make the play or you don't. Bernie got picked on. He got abused. He got beaten up. He, he got, I mean, talked about earlier, he is not a corner. He looked silly trying to do something that he was not recruited to Florida to do. You cannot hold that against him. He was not recruited for his covered corner skills. I do not fault him for that. It's not fair to fault him. That'd be like if you put Jason Marshall in at linebacker. Well, that's not what he's here to do. He's very good at what he's supposed to do, but that's not what he, that's not what he's supposed to do. After all that, after a night of not looking very good at something he's not supposed to do, he shakes it all off and makes the play he has to make. You, you can make a very good case for him in that sense. Not that he was the best player on the field, but because he was the player that made the defining play of the game. That said, I'm, I'm going with Richardson because you have to. Um, also, honorable mentioned, honorable mentioned to the ground slash the football. 
for that ball on the fumble, not bouncing in a different direction and being picked up by a Utah defender, which probably ends that game on the final possession. Um, going to have to, I mean, both Montreal Johnson and ETN are going to have to go through all kinds of ball security drills, guys just punching the ball in their arms. But um, yeah, got to shout that out too. So that's taken care of. Let's talk about grades. Offense, solid B. Uh, anytime you get almost 300 yards on the ground, you make clutch plays. Uh, you score a game-winning drive at the end. We move the ball very effectively throughout the night. Obviously, like I mentioned, the passing game needs to improve and needs to be more consistent. So that's where I think it's a B for me. I think it's a solid B, maybe just over that B-minus range. But it's hard to argue with the performance when you had a great ground game, and that's going to carry this team. Defense. I'd probably say, I don't know. I'd go B minus. I think I would have liked to have seen some more pressure on the quarterback. I felt like we really didn't get to Cam Rising. Granted, he was very good at getting out of the pocket and scrambling and making plays with his legs. That It makes it a little more difficult. But we're going to play a lot of quarterbacks like that this year. So we're going to need to find a way to get to the quarterback uh, more often and get those sacks. Obviously, maybe force more turnovers. Let's you know not dropping game-winning interceptions when they come to you, or just interceptions in general. So I think, and and then the ground game against us was not great. They ran the ball for 230 on the ground, so we need to improve there. I don't know if if really the the secondary, the corners, the safeties were that tested during the game because I think the test came against the front seven, either rushing or the linebackers in the passing game. So. That's an area where I think Patrick Tony's going to have to improve, but I think they showed some improvement from last year because I don't know there were many B minus performances for the defense last year. So this is an improvement in that respect. Special teams, I talked about it earlier. I thought that there was more to be desired from this group. The kick return game wasn't strong. I'd like to see something a little bit different there, different strategy. So, and we didn't get to see, the, I saw Adam Mahalik, uh, the Tampa guy here, shout out 813. He got, he won the kicking job for now. He, you know, he did good. And I think on the kickoffs, getting those touchbacks, um, Jeremy Crawshaw did his job, getting the ball inside the 20, flipping the field. Well, I want to, I think the, the, the opportunity will present itself eventually to see if our kicker is consistent and does have the leg to make those kicks as needed. Um, special teams though, I'd probably say C, C minus. I, I think there's just more to be desired there in the kick return game. And that's just an area where I'd like to see us utilize a little bit more, but other than that, uh, as far as the overall team performance, or as I say, coaching, let's go coaching, A for Billy Napier. I mean, you can't – it's hard to argue with a, a, a better start to a coaching era. Probably the toughest opener for a new head football coach at UF in generations now. I mean, going back to maybe the, the Charlie Pell days, um, it's been a long time since we've had a tough opener like this for, for a head football coach. And he played, he did a fantastic job coaching these guys up throughout the game, scheming them in the right positions. All of the work that the staff had done in the offseason, you know, paid off. There were less penalties. There was much more discipline. And that's what allowed us to win a 50-50 game on Saturday night. So for that, coaching is a solid A for me. Overall team performance out of 100, I'll go 85. 85 out of 100. This isn't a finished product. But anytime you get a win over a top 10 team, that you it's hard to argue with the result of that, especially considering you started the season unranked. So, you know, I think everybody knows there's a lot more to be desired from this team, a lot more to improve on. Billy Napier said it himself in the press conference, but his staff did a great job coaching them up and putting them in a position to be successful and to get this victory Saturday night. So overall performance for the team, for this coaching staff, for this win, 85 out of 100. I think those are all pretty fair. Offense, I will say a B minus. It's only that low because of the two fumbles. I mean, the next time you fumble twice, it could lose the game. It almost did for Florida. It gave Utah seven points, and it nearly cost Florida seven points at the end. Gotta, gotta, gotta clean that up. But Richardson was good. I, I wouldn't say he was great, but he he was good. He was fine. He made some spectacular plays. He didn't make a ton of them but he made a few and he made the ones he had to make 
The receiving game, as we said, I think we're going we're gonna to have to make peace with the fact that it's just not an elite unit in 22. It is what it is. For what they have, I think it was fine. Offensive line was very good. Running game, aside from those two fumbles, was very good. So I'll say B minus. Um, without those two fumbles, I think it's probably a, a B plus, A minus fringe grade. But with them, you got to say B minus. Defense, give them a, a C plus slash C. The run defense really has to get better. I think we all know that. I mean, Utah was Utah was one mistake away or, or you know, having not made one mistake away from winning that game. That is not a good sign when you realize that Georgia and Alabama and even LSU are going to be more talented than Utah is. And if we can't stop Utah, we're going to have problems in the heart of our SEC schedule. Uh, Texas A&M, another team that's going to be more difficult to stop than them. So um, got to clean up that run defense, got to get a little more gap sound. But then again, they made the plays they absolutely had to make. So they get credit for that. So C-plus is not a grade you brag about, but it, it's a passing grade. It's you know going to get you a degree. We're going to use the the college analogy, you know, it, it will get you your degree. So a lot, lot to look forward to working on, but definitely a passing grade to start with. Not like we're starting with a failing grade for sure. So C plus for them, special teams. The, the thing that I can't stand more than anything else is when you kick off out of bounds, because that's just such an a, a easily avoidable thing that Florida has done a good deal of the last couple of years. You didn't do that. You didn't get any, you didn't get any punch or kick block. Uh, you know, no, no calamities on special teams would have liked to have seen more plays happen in special teams. Like you talked about would have liked to have seen punt returns. I will say, I will say B as just a neutral grade. They didn't do anything great. They didn't do anything terrible. So I'll say B for them coaching. I give a, an a minus the team was ready to go. The team was, was fired up and, you know, motivation is something that goes into that. I thought the schematics were good. I don't know really what to make of that final drive just because if if Napier puts all his eggs in that one basket of of that one drive and it doesn't work does the coaching grade drop down to a a C a C minus a D from us I mean like because I don't I don't like to have one decision that if the result flips completely changes the outlook of, of your grade on that. So I will say a minus just because I wasn't totally certain about that call. It worked out in his favor. And you know, if, if he makes another six or seven or eight decisions in a row that all lean on his trust for Richardson and you know, he goes five and one, six and one, seven and one of them. And like all but one of them work out in his favor. Then you can start to say, okay, there's a pattern. He's trusting in Richardson and it's clearly working consistently. So maybe you got to give him a plus in that category. But until that point, I'm still a little hesitant about that. So um, I'll, I'll slightly ding him on that. But the overall sum of, of, of his coaching decisions obviously worked out. The play calls, I don't I don't really know what to make of, of Patrick Tony playing too high for a lot of the game when Utah was gashing us on runs up the middle. I don't know if I really like that. Then again, the last time he I mean the last play of the game he called, last defensive look he called, won the game for us with Bernie being in the right position to dive in front and pick that ball off. So I'll I'll say A minus, which is very good, but still a little bit of room to possibly get better. Overall grade, I will say. 88% out of 100, B+, plus, solid, not tremendous, but not anything to complain about. Um, you know, being being the stickler parent, I guess we're going to use the, the great analogy. Well, where are those other 12 points? Well, defense has to get a lot better. And in the run game, offense cannot put the ball on the ground. That's going to lose Florida games if they don't clean it up. I believe they will. But because we have not seen that yet, I cannot assume that. So that's where those other 12 points really come from. Um, you know, Those two issues get cleaned up, and they're big issues, but those two issues get cleaned up, and we're looking at grades in, in the mid-90s. And I think that's a great place for Florida to be in the first year of Billy Napier's tenure, one game into Billy Napier's tenure. 
future is definitely bright. Chris, you know, we made mention of this earlier. We could do this all over again next week. A game that's bigger because this is a, this is an SEC opponent. This counts for Atlanta. They're not ranked as high as Utah, but it's a game that's going to count for the SEC standings. So, can you believe it, man? We're as as Gators, we get to do this all over again. That's why you come to Florida. That's why you root for Florida because every week there seems to be a game with big time meanings. And I'll tell you what, man, I'm I'm as excited to be a Gator right now as as I've been in a while. Same here. No, the, 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 the energy is there right now in this program. And I think it, just the other thing too, I'll mention the recruits who all came the all, we had all yes. recruits visiting. They got to witness that. So, yeah. And I, and the feedback coming out of it from the weekend has been great. Um, I'm not sure if people saw it. Uh, Mr. Crystal Ball, Steve Wilfong put in a fairly confident prediction for Kamani McLean to Florida. So good news, obviously not over. We need to ultimately have him commit, but that is good news coming out of the big unofficial visit with that atmosphere. Last thing I I do want to mention too is a big congratulations and shout out to radio announcer, Sean Kelly on his first broadcast I actually went back and listened to the the recap, you know, the highlights and with his voiceover. I thought he did a great job. I really thought he did a great job. Nobody is ever going to be Mick Hubert, but he's going to be Sean Kelly. And I think he's going to grow into that role as a play-by-play caller for the Florida Gators. And I think he did a fantastic job. Um, so if anybody hasn't, if they were at the game or they watched it on TV, go back and listen to the 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 recap. Uh, with his voiceover, because I think he did a really good job, and I think Gator fans are going to really grow to like him. Good, good way to end the pod. That's a really good point. I was wondering about that before the game. How's he going to be? How's he going to sound? Did not think about it once the game started for obvious reasons. We had bigger fish to fry, um, bigger huge to fry. We want to be more precise about it, but it was it was a very it's a very thankless job to step into because, like you said, no one's going to be McHubert. No one's going to replace him, but you know what? Sometimes to be yourself is is just fine, and and I think that him being Sean Kelly is, is going to result in in some some big time levels of enjoyment from this fan base. So, best of luck to you, Sean, as you continue to grow into the role, as Chris said, and uh, can't wait to can't wait to listen to him. So, with that said, I think that's all we've got for the pod. If you enjoyed our show, please give us a five star rating and a nice review on iTunes. We would definitely appreciate that or or apple podcast definitely appreciate that chris you ready to do this again next week let's do it yeah big time big time atmosphere this past weekend gator nation we need it again we need you to duplicate it you don't get any rest we got to repeat that atmosphere because kentucky is not a joke they're a street fighter of a program that's going to come in and punch you in the mouth they're they're scrappy they fight they claw and it's going to be a challenge for our guys but a big time home field advantage could definitely go a long way towards helping us and Gator Nation. We need y'all to, to come back and do that again. So until then, uh, we're going to have our, our Kentucky preview out in a couple days. Until then, y'all stay safe, stay healthy, chomp on, go Gators. Let's let's keep building. This is not an ending point for Florida. It is a starting point. We're happy with the starting point, but we only have more climbing to do. Go Gators. Let's let's do that climbing. Let's keep on reaching higher. Chris, look forward to seeing you again, my guy. And uh, let's do it. Let's do it again. Go Gators. Go Gators.